Saying goodbye is always difficult, especially if it's someone who we love dearly. And especially if we know that we will never see them again in this world. I remember years ago when Linda and I were saying goodbye to her Uncle Will and Auntie Grace at Perth Airport. I remember the scene vividly as that was only yesterday when Linda's mother said goodbye to her brother Will. We had already said our goodbyes and we just watched as they, as brother and sister, spoke to one another and then just stopped holding hands and tears flowing down their faces because they knew that this would be the last time that they saw each other in this world. And then they hugged and then Uncle Will and Auntie Grace went off to the plane and they were gone. And we were left with some wonderful memories. That is the kind of moving scene that we have here in Acts chapter 20. Paul, driven by the Spirit with his companions, is on his way back to Jerusalem to be there before Pentecost, having spent three months in Macedonia encouraging his churches. He says in verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Their ship stopped at Miletus, and Paul sent a message to the Ephesian elders to come and meet with him because he had some important counsel to give them for their future. These were men who were converted through Paul's ministry, who he discipled, and then he, uh, then he appointed as elders to the churches in Ephesus. It is a deeply moving passage. In fact, it's the only passage in the whole book of Acts that is actually addressed directly to Christians. We read in verse 36, Paul had finished speaking. He knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see him again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. And like Linda's aunt and uncle, he was gone. The question is, why did Paul want to see them? Well, I make, I make two points. Firstly, Paul was a dedicated pastor and he knew the Ephesian situation thoroughly, having ministered there for three years. He knew that Ephesus was a pagan city with a famous temple to the goddess Artemis, which was one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. Also in Ephesus, it was famous for 
being the home of all kinds of magic, the dark and powerful arts that were always popular on the edge of mainstream paganism, just as it is as they are in today's Western world. So the Ephesians need to be sure about their faith and what they believed. But also the other problem that was happening was that in the Ephesian churches themselves, there was a rising up against Paul's authority and teaching by some people, just as there was in the churches of Galatia and also in Corinth. And then, as now, false teaching was a problem that Paul had to confront. And hence we are left with the letters that deal with false teaching, such as Galatians and Colossians and Corinthians. So they're the two reasons. Are preparing them that they would be clear about their faith and to deal with false teaching. But then in this wonderful autobiographical uh, verses, Paul reminds the Ephesians, these elders, of his ministry. He lays out in detail before these elders both his motives and his manner in which he conducted his ministry so that they would have an authentic model as to how ministry should be done. He could claim such authority because he was an apostle. But it was also clear that they were only to follow him as he followed Christ. And so as he saw the cloud of false teaching appearing on the horizon in Ephesians, he wanted to give them a framework that would help them to expose counterfeit and false ministry and even a false gospel. Because he said in verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number, maybe even from that group of elders, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So then the question arises, what were the qualities of his ministry? What are the marks of authentic Christian ministry, whether it's as the pastor or deacon or elder or in some other uh, helping ministry in uh, Sunday school and so on and so on. What are the marks of authentic Christian ministry? Well, first of all is passion. Passion. What is spiritual passion? Passion has to do with our heart. The internal fire that motivates us and energises us to fulfil the purposes of God's will for us. Our God is the source of spiritual passion. And the Holy Spirit comes to ignite 
this holy fire within us. Someone has said, in the world we live in, natural passion is often the key to success and impact. Knowing information is valuable, but possessing the fire is invaluable. Nothing major in history was ever accomplished without zeal. It is the deciding difference between successful and unsuccessful people in every field of endeavour. The fire on the inside affects everything on the outside. William Ward says, enthusiasm and persistence can make an average person superior. Indifference and lethargy can make a superior person average. Paul's spiritual passion had its beginning in his relationship with Jesus. On that day on the Damascus Road when Paul discovered by the appearance of Jesus who he really is, he then, in response, devoted his whole life to love and to serve him. And so he sh we should not be surprised that Paul would say to these elders, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, what I'm totally about, is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I mean, Paul said this again in different ways and in different places. He said, I want to know Christ and experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death. In another place, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it does not matter how old we are. Paul was a mature man when he wrote these things. Or how young we are. The fire and the passion of the Holy Spirit are the number one key to ministry. For Paul, Jesus invaded not only his being, but the person of Jesus invaded his thoughts, his plans, everything he did. The same zeal that Jesus had for his father. Remember he said, the zeal, the, the, my zeal for my father has eaten me up. That was now the same zeal that Paul had for his Lord. His heart throbbed with love for Jesus. I count my wife as worth nothing. I could imagine Paul singing in a congregation that wonderful song, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. He is the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord. I see.
So the first thing about an authentic ministry is there will be spiritual passion. That Christ must be all and is all that we want to be about. The question is this, for each of us, is the passion burning within us? Not a passion for the church, not a passion for ministry, not even a passion for people, but a passion for Jesus Christ himself. The second thing about an authentic ministry is humility. Paul said this in verse 19, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Now, on the face of it, it sounds like a very egotistical statement. I remember reading about Spurgeon on one occasion after he'd preached a sermon on humility. And as people were leaving, this lady came by and said, Mr Spurgeon, I want you to know that I am a humble person. And he said, and I guess you're proud of that, aren't you? He, she said, yes, I am. <laughs> we don't expect humble people to say they are humble. It's an observation for other people to make, not ourselves. But what Paul is meaning here is that he was very conscious of his own weakness, very conscious of his own insufficiency for the service he was doing. So he was in no way ascribing his success to his extraordinary gifts, but rather ascribing all his success to the power, grace and the Spirit of God, treating no one with contempt or disdain, nor lording it over the church, nor clamouring for dominion over people's lives, nor seeking honour or riches for himself. In fact, not even what he was entitled to. From others, he actually provided for himself. He was ascribing everything that was done and all success to God. And he says, and with many tears. How often had Paul cried over the hardness of hearts, over people who had started but didn't go on, over people facing various situations. Paul was a humble-hearted, compassionate pastor. In fact, he said on one occasion, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church of God. He also called himself in another place the chief of sinners. John Newton makes this marvellous statement. He said, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidences that he is indeed our master. Paul's ministry, characterised by spiritual passion, by humility, and then thirdly, by courage 
and faithfulness. In verse 20 we read, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And so regardless of the constant opposition and death threats from Jews who plotted against him, to the Gentile uprising in Ephesus, instigated by Demetrius, the silversmith, because so many people got converted that all of a sudden his business was drying up. People no longer wanted silver images of the goddess of Diana. And this was affecting business. You know, when the gospel comes, it has an economic impact. And so Demetrius stirred all this up, proclaiming the, the, the greatness of Artemis of the Ephesians. And the whole town gathered in the amphitheatre, like a gathering at the Perth Stadium. <laughs> and they were shouting out, Great is the God of the, of, of, of the is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the text actually says people were caught up in it and they didn't even know why they were there. And Paul was desperate to go down and speak to the crowd. We read in verse 30. But the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. How did they stop him? Paul, Paul knew that he was responsible for this upheaval in the city and he wanted to go and speak to the crowd. Such was his courage. How did they hold him back? Time to a chair? <laughs> but he didn't go. Such was his boldness that both publicly and privately he could say that he was innocent of the blood of everyone. He had not spared himself in teaching publicly, going from house to house, privately, making sure that everybody knew about the Christ. And so he set this mission, he set this example, he set this, this uh, authentic model of ministry. And what he was basically saying was, we are never off duty, but we must speak for Jesus wherever we have the opportunity, with grace, with humility, it's wonderful, isn't it, to talk about Jesus to people? Because we've got nothing to be embarrassed about. It's the greatest privilege in the world to tell them the fantastic news of God's love and grace. It's the greatest proclamation the world has ever heard. 
And there is a sense, you know, that wherever we go, whoever we have contact with, at that moment, with God, we are holding their lives in our hands. Today we need courageous Christians who by the strength of God will have the ability to do something difficult even when there's a risk. It was Abraham who went out not knowing where he was going. Courageous people do and say what they think is right despite the opposition. Like those three young men before Nebuchadnezzar who he was going to cast into the fire. And they said to him, Nebuchadnezzar, our God will deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not bow down to your image. Also, I note Paul said, alongside his courage was his faithfulness to the truth. Passion, humility, courage, faithfulness linked to diligence. In verse 27 we read, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul was not a man pleaser, saying only those things that people would love to hear. But he was faithful to his calling. He laid out in detail the truth about God, the truth about his love and justice, the truth about humanity, our uniqueness made in the image of God, the truth about the fall of Adam and humanity's lostness in sin and darkness facing eternal punishment, and the truth about Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his second coming, and that eternal life was only possible through faith in him. Paul kept nothing back. He gave to them the whole counsel. And you know, it's interesting, right through Acts, all the apostles kept teaching, 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 teaching people about Jesus. And I believe that's what we've got to return to. So Paul said, I consider my worth, my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There was Paul's authentic model for a godly ministry, marked by spiritual passion, by humility, by courage, by faithfulness to the truth, by diligence in communicating the truth, so that those Ephesian elders 
were in no doubt as to what ministry was really all about so that they could nurture and guard their churches against the false teaching that was going to arise. And then they said goodbye. What a way to say goodbye. When he'd finished speaking, knelt down, prayed with them. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that he would never see their face again and they accompanied him to the ship. Someone has written, I know the feeling when you have to leave someone you love. Whether you say it or not, it hurts. When you're going away, you start to realise how much you cared for the other person. You start to realise how much they mattered and you start to reminisce on times that you had with them. When you have a close connection with someone, you can feel each other's emotions without saying a word. And that's what was happening here. Someone has also said, truly great friends are hard to find, difficult to leave, and impossible to forget. And that's where Paul was. And that's where these Ephesians elders were. That, dear friends, is the fellowship of the gospel where hearts are enraptured with Christ and are linked in a deep unity of heart and mind in the fellowship of the gospel.